0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: The thirty one year old man was taken to the hospital, no word to her on his condition. We're of course going to be following this story tonight on Fox Six News at nine and ten and of course Fox Six. Now
2: and our big story right now at 6 o'clock, rounding up doctors and putting them in
3: jail. That
2: is the goal in Milwaukee County.
1: The inmates need medical, medical and psych care. Some say they're just not getting it. Our mind was reports of the deadline to fix this problem is just 10 days away.
4: A lot of people in these jails are going on suicide watch. They're threatening, they're their, Going nuts, you know, because of the fact that nobody properly takes care of them. Nick Rinzel
5: when says he's been an inmate in the Milwaukee County Jail.
4: Dental care in the jail, all they do is pull your
6: teeth.
5: Rinzel says he needed psychiatric meds and was put in solitary confinement.
6: I spent three days in Ocean Two with no care at all. It's the hole, it's the place where you go if you're in trouble.
2: He's
5: not the only one. The Milwaukee County Jail has had no medical director for two years, no full-time psychiatric doctor in a year. A judge has ordered the sheriff and county to work together on the problem. The sheriff wants to hire a private organization to help. Some county supervisors want to keep the hiring local and internal. Tuesday, the sheriff criticized the plan to hire a St. Louis firm to search for doctors to work at the jail. Sheriff Clark said, quote, This makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. This will prolong the delay in filling these critical positions, end quote.
4: If things are as bad as people are saying, okay, um, then we, the counties, are putting ourselves in a huge liability position. County Supervisor
5: Mark Borkowski says it's not as bad as some are saying. The ACLU
2: disagrees. The person who is on the floor, uh, uh, essentially shaking on the floor, and the, the nursing team said, oh, just put him back in his bed and he'll be fine. I mean, things that are really beyond the tail. Um, and we're really concerned
7: about the dangerousness of the situation there, both on the psychiatric side and on the medical side.
8: Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we seek to bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, we continue Voices from Behind the Wall. Why is medical treatment being denied to inmates in prisons, in jails all across this nation, and people are dying and body bags are being filled up? Folks, we take off right now Voices from Behind the Wall. Let's go. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams, Sampson Riddle. And I'll tell you what, this aims to be a good one, folks, as we continue the really the coverage and to be the voice for those who have now become voiceless behind the wall in prisons and jails all across this nation. And we're going to continue that tonight, the refusal of medical treatment. Folks are dying in our jails, in our prisons. And uh, it's just unacceptable in every right. Every person has the right to medical treatment. And this is, again, I believe an act of punishment uh, that these prisons and these correctional officers and wardens and everybody else involved here. Again, we, we don't put them all in the same boat, but this is happening at an alarming rate. And we're going to deal with that issue tonight. And uh, Sampson, as we get ready to go down this road, again, voices from behind the wall, no medical treatment. As I, I was talking to you uh, before we came on the air uh, Presence here in Colorado, taking the diabetes diabetic uh, diet meal off of the menu for inmates who are diabetic, and and that's a death that's definitely a death wish without question.
2: Absolutely, I mean they 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 just it just seems like they don't understand uh, the gravity of their actions when you're sitting there making a diabetic person whether they be type one or type two eat the amount of sugar and carbs and stuff that are in the meals that they serve. Uh, these these inmates i mean they they are they're they're putting them on a death sentence whether it be right away or long term like they're they're gonna kill them
8: no oh, absolutely right and uh, i actually got that information from a friend of mine who is now out of uh out of out of prison uh and and had actually told me what had happened prior to him leaving and that was that was something that comes from the department of corrections right here in colorado something needs to be done about that dennis your thoughts as we go down this road tonight
9: i agree something definitely needs to be done i mean uh, these are not animals, even animals. Uh, let me take it back. I, I don't even want to start off with animals because uh, we're, we're going to make sure they get the, the, they, they get nutritious uh, food to make sure that they survive. But uh, again, here we go taking prisoners and, and saying they're nobody, not worth anything. But uh, when you talk about uh, diabetes and you talk about all these different things that people deal with uh, just from being a human, I mean, it's a basic right to uh, provide someone uh, with a proper nutritious meal. And for that that not to be taking place in prison
8: we got a problem and we got to get it fixed oh absolutely right Cliff your thoughts is uh, you know what look and then the point uh, Dennis you made is true uh, they're gonna get if, a, if an animal gets sick they're gonna get veterinarian care oh yeah immediately and we'll have 24 hour uh, emergency care vet I'm saying there yeah, veterinarians yeah, yeah. Yeah, so who right. make it available. Uh, that those pets are And I, I have no problem against that Let me exactly. be clear uh, I love dogs and every, I love animal spirits. But uh, do we not hold uh, Human life to any value at all As we address this issue Cliff
10: Yeah I mean it's a sad Sad situation when you see People who abuse animals I mean you can get You can get jail time for abusing an animal You can get jail time If you have uh, for, for neglecting an animal and yet our system that's set in place does not, um, you know, do anything to hamper uh, people, people's health getting worse. I mean, I think back to what uh, Sheriff Arpaio down in Arizona said that, you know, when he was talking about feeding his dog and saying, oh, no, my, my dog's lunch costs more than an inmate meal and it'll always be the way. And he said it with pride, yeah. like, like, uh, you know, yeah, the dog is worth much more than one of these inmates you know his his meal costs about you know five dollars and the inmates meal costs less than two those are the type of things that uh you know as a culture and you look at at where he's at in arizona in maricopa county where the culture there they continue to vote him in and so the people there are saying yes we love the way that you're treating inmates we love the way that you're running the jails uh we're fine with the fact that a dog gets a, a meal that's that's more valuable than uh than human. And in essence, saying we, we're fine with the fact that a dog's life is is more valuable than a human. So we have to change that culture. We have to, you know, cry out, raise our voices, vote, do whatever we can to say this. these type of things are not tolerated from giving inmates these meals that, you know, when, when the package that everybody's eaten out of says not uh, for human consumption, there's something wrong with the rules or the people that are set in place to ensure the rules are followed on what these inmates are being fed and how they're being treated as far as their medical health. It, it's, it's, you know, there's really no word to say for it. No, it's, it's absolutely unacceptable. Uh, totally ridiculous.
8: Uh, but We're going to address these issues. A lot of people, again, how many people do not know uh, that their loved ones are being treated this way that, that they're uh, again, loved ones. Dia- diabetes is a very serious issue. That's just one one issue that continues uh, gets to be an issue, and you don't understand, the more we unravel voices from behind the wall, the more we are uh, we are shocked that this is going on because no one is talking about it until now. And AJC Radio will continue to be the voice for those who have really become voiceless, and we're going to do our very best to bring justice to these folks and uh, hopefully institute some change here around the nation. Feel free, uh, folks, to call in to 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628, as we continue uh, to deal with these issues uh, that are very, very important. So uh, I'll tell you what, folks, uh, this is something that you need to tell your neighbors about, you need to tell everybody about, because I'll tell you what right now, until we become outraged with what's going on, when people are dying, 25 years old, and we talked to her the other night about the juveniles, which we'll be picking that back up on Tuesday, the, the injustice that juveniles and youngsters are suffering in juvenile detention centers across this country, uh, until we become outraged that our kids are dying, our relatives, our family, our friends are dying as a result of just a no-care attitude about the folks that are behind the wall of these prisons and in these county jails. It's just something we have to Deal with. on the other side of the break folks we're coming back voices from behind the wall medical care medical treatment denied at an alarming rate we'll deal with it on the other side of this break this is AJC radio we'll be right back for a kid whose mom or dad is in prison life is tough now add a wrongful conviction to that life just got a little bit tougher against wrongful convictions call or just calls today one 529 4252 we seek justice for the children as they go to bed at night and mom's not there dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe not because dad or mom did anything wrong Because justice Could not be found Join us For the children For they truly are Our future
11: History is important Because it shows where you're coming from And where you're going Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family Which means I'm at risk In fact, one in three American adults Are at risk for developing Type 2 diabetes And knowing this If I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskScreenNo.com.
12: How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors.
3: So most people don't understand the importance of exercising and eating right. Most people think it's about getting super buff or eating grass to keep that perfect body. But to those who believe that are wrong, exercising regularly and getting the right balance of nutritious food leads to a common diagnosis known as healthy. Now healthy may sound mainstream and boring, but it's real. It improves your immune system to prevent sickness, boosts self-confidence and controls body weight, gives you energy and improves your overall happiness. So next time you think that's not
13: bad, think again and be the best you, you can be
4: sergeant michelle garcia served meritoriously in iraq and has the medals to prove it soon after leaving the navy lieutenant chris scott found a job a home and started a family of his own corpsman richard stokely took the skills he learned in vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic but soon after leaving the military each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness even after michelle lost all her savings even after chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage. And even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call.
8: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Again, tonight is no exception as we deal with voices from behind the wall, the lack and the denial of medical treatment to inmates across this nation. And uh, that's in prisons, jails, detention centers, juvenile detention centers as well. We're going to touch on that a little bit on next Tuesday. But tonight we deal with the horrific stories uh, of no medical care where folks are dying in cells. They are sick and observed. And nothing is being done about it. Joining us here at the bottom of the hour will be Tasha Osborne. She's founder and CEO of Inmates Lives Matter of Georgia. She's going to give her some perspective on this as well. And we look forward to hearing her her thoughts on this issue. Uh, I can tell you right now, folks, this is something that you should be gravely concerned about, because uh, I'll tell you right now. Just imagine. just imagine. If that is your mother, your father, sister, brother in custody who is begging for help, begging for help, and it's not being supplied, it's not being given to them, and they are suffering and hurting, that, my friend, is a major problem. We're going to deal with those issues uh, uh, tonight. And right now we're going to play one clip. It's part one of this clip. It is a tragedy what happened to this man in a county jail who ultimately lost his life. Let's see what it has to say.
14: Jed Hawk Myers was 34 years old when he died shortly after midnight on May 28, 2015 at the Yamhill County Jail. Myers' death could have been prevented. He was assaulted in his cell, E28, at 7.08 p.m. on May 27 by two other inmates. Someone used the cell intercom to call for help, and at 725, deputy intern Colleen McNamara and deputy Kiara Downs came up the stairs to the second level of E-block. They made their way along the upper tier to E-28, where they found Myers.
15: As we went to walk into the cell, Myers stepped out of the cell and walked towards me, and was incoherent because I kept telling him to stop walking towards me, he kept walking towards me. I said it three times until I finally stopped him in his place. He was sweating and panting, and he said his chest hurt. And I said, where does it hurt? And he touched his stomach. And so I asked again, what hurts? And he said "It's chest. And I asked again because to me, this is your chest, and this is your stomach, and he put his hand on the side of his stomach. I was trying to figure out if he was coherent to where the pain was coming from.
14: McNamara and Downs entered Myers' cell. McNamara described Myers as having a dislocated shoulder.
15: At that point, Myers took off his shirt, and I could tell that his shoulder, what I observed to be, was dislocated. There was something protruding towards the front, and the shoulder did not look like a normal shoulder. I observed a sore on the front and back of the shoulders, what I would call an open sore. It wasn't bleeding but it was shiny. You could tell that it was open. It looked relatively fresh. I didn't see any scabbing, but it was not bleeding.
14: McNamara, Downs, and two other deputies escorted Myers from E28 to a cell in the med unit. Inmates along the way noticed Myers was in pain.
6: He had a stop, and like he was holding his side and he was leaning up against the wall. And they were like, can you sit down? And he was like, oh, I heard am in pain. Like, he was like
16: screaming. It looked like he. I was
2: sitting on the stairs, and I just heard a guy um, talking about pain. He looked pretty pale, and like he ran into the door as he was walking out, like kind of stumbling.
14: At 7.31 p.m., Myers arrived at Med Cell B. Deputies continued to examine him. Deputy Downs noted the injury to Myers' shoulder. He's
15: sitting down, he's still holding uh, his chest. He, he keeps moving his shoulder, so, okay, I mean, there was a big
17: bump, but I couldn't tell what kind of...
14: Here it was. Myers appeared to be bothered by his shoulder and appeared to be wincing with pain. As Deputy Roger Swift got Myers a glass of water, Deputy Downs noticed a bump on the side of Myers' head and pointed it out to Swift. I
15: also noticed a on his head, um, the right side because that's on the side. I was standing, oh, a red bump, um, on his own side of
7: his head, just
14: above the ear. Myers continued to show signs of pain and disorientation, lying down, rolling back and forth, and then sitting back up. Medical technician Kevin Thurman came to the cell to examine Myers. He's
2: kind of agitated, but not like, I'm going to fight you agitated, is unsettling, you know, just when it, when it sits still. You know, I'm trying to just say, you need to stop screaming, what's going on? And I, you know, I put our pulse on on his finger and uh, his heart rate was 130, and he was, you know, his oxygen level was 99%. And I tried like five or six times to get a blood pressure on him, and he just, he wanted to sit. I couldn't even get him to sit still. He would, like, flex or move, and so the machine kept coming up with errors. So I never got a blood pressure on him.
14: At about 7.37 p.m., Thurman gave up on getting a blood pressure reading. Myers appeared to be complaining about his side and his shoulder. MedTech Thurman wondered about Myers sweating.
8: The thing that
2: stuck out is that he was rabbit heart rate and sweaty and you can't you can't fake being sweaty, but then you know he's sweaty and tachycardic, so I'm like, eh,
14: something's going on. Despite Thurman's concerns, he left the cell at seven thirty eight and did not return. His shift ended at ten. Thurman was the only medically trained staff member to examine Myers in the hours before his death. Myers continued to grimace and squirm. Sweat was evident on his upper body. Deputies Tamara Hart and Roger Swift were the last two deputies in Myers' cell while he was alive. At 7.43, Swift left, and then a few seconds later, Hart left. Myers was left alone in his cell. He appeared to be crying out. Then he got up and went to the door, where it appeared he pushed the intercom button for help. The intercom for Med Cell B is to the left of the door. Myers sat back down. He continued to yell or scream, sometimes clutching his side. He lay back down but didn't look comfortable. He was sweating and calling out. It looked like he might have yelled, help me. Nearby in Med Cell E, inmate Thomas O'Donnell reported he could hear Myers screaming. Oh, he sat there and screamed. He kept screaming, help me, help me. He screamed. He screamed, he screamed, he screamed. To the point, like I said, I got up there and pushed the button. Like I said, he just kept screaming. I didn't understand why they didn't take him to the hospital. At 745, Myers was back at the intercom. He made several trips to the door and the intercom that night. None of the calls were answered. Deputy Hart explained the intercom would be deactivated for an inmate who was judged to be overly needy
0: we have we have an ability to disable their calm um
1: in our holding in our holding cells in our medical cells um, and generally they will be disabled because we will have somebody in there that is just very needy and they're always on it so between you know them just pushing it because they're you know upset about something they're not getting their way,
17: or their
14: attention. And on that instance, you know, we'll we'll put their cell up on the screen just to kind of monitor them. Myers' cell could be monitored in the jail control room on a one-ninth section of a large-screen TV. Deputies monitoring his cell would have seen Myers yelling and writhing on his bed. His side appeared to be bothering him. He looked sweaty. He appeared to be in pain. At 7.48, he was back to the door and the intercom, another call for help. He returned to the door at 7.50. Back at the bed, he sat down, clutching his stomach in obvious pain. A couple of minutes later, he rolled to the side and onto the floor of his cell. He looked like he was trying to get comfortable, one position after another to see what worked. Again, it looked like he was saying, help me. He returned to the door and the intercom at 8.03. One more attempt to get someone's attention. Deputies began a series of security look-ins on Myers. Deputy Eric Clouser performed a check at 8.07. At that point, Myers was back lying on his bed. Deputy McNamara was back for another security check at 8.12. Again, Myers was lying on his bed. Two minutes later, Myers returned to the door to push the intercom buzzer. To the door again at 8.20. A try for the intercom again at 8.27. At 8.30, he fell off his bunk and sprawled on the floor. After a short while, with some effort, he struggled to get up at 8.31 and made another attempt at the buzzer. At 8.38, Myers' cell was falling into disarray. It looked like he was becoming more disoriented. He made two more attempts at the door to get help at this time. Myers tried the door and the intercom again at 8.53. He sat back down and leaned against the wall. At 8.54, Myers got up to urinate in the toilet. When he was done and moved away, the previously clear water in the toilet was red. Blood in Myers' urine had turned the toilet water red.
8: There you have it folks. And we have part 2 of that of that story. This is what blows my mind. The lady sitting in the in the booth who made the statement, which is the control center, said we have the ability to disable the intercom because the the people sometimes are needy. She should be charged with first-degree murder. Whoever disabled that call, not that they would have answered anyway, 19 times he pressed that button for help because he was dying, and they ignored it.
17: How do you explain that?
8: Dennis?
9: It's very difficult to explain. I could not explain it because, uh, first of all, uh, not only do they have the means, the intercom itself, so, so, so what if it was shut off? Uh, there still should have been monitoring the cameras and they should have seen that he constantly was trying to get help. So either way you look at it, there's no explanation. There's no excuse for what happened in that prison. The problem here
8: is the reason that intercom is in that cell, because you are locked in there with another individual in most cases. In that case, you're locked in there by yourself. So help me understand what logic do you have to disable a panic button, an intercom system in that cell, what if that guy's getting ready to kill himself? And he changes his mind, but he's, he can't breathe, or whatever the case is.
18: This is absolutely outrageous. Outrageous. Well, they seem needy.
8: That's your job. They, don't, they, they don't matter?
10: And how does the medical examiner, the only one on staff, he examines a man who, uh, on one hand, he's see the medical examiner is talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's saying, "Well, he's acting erratic, he's aggravated. I couldn't get a blood pressure because he wouldn't be still." Then he starts saying, "Well, but then he's sweating. You can't fake you can't fake sweating. You can't fake an elevated pulse of 150 uh, pulse. That you're that is running on a treadmill when your pulse is that high." So you, with your medical training, you know he cannot fake these things and yet you leave and never come back. Never knowing come back. something is wrong with this man. He has an elevated pulse, he's sweating profusely. something's wrong, but I'm just I'm going home for the night. I'm not going to even recommend that he goes to the hospital. Why? Because I'm a little bit perturbed that he won't let me take his his uh, his blood pressure. Obviously, this man is disoriented. Whatever is going on, whether he's having a heart attack, whether he's have he's got uh, obviously with you know with blood in his urine, he's got some some uh, blood poisoning um, going on uh, that basically his his uh, his organs are failing and and they're basically poisoning his body. So he's he's disoriented, and you have the medical exact the person who's there who uh, supposedly took the Hippocratic oath that I will do no harm and I'll ensure that I'll do everything that I can to protect life, uh, as far as you if somebody is sick, he leaves for the night, never recommends, hey, why don't you take him to the hospital, get some x-rays. This man has holes in his shoulder that they said are not healed, but they're not bleeding. He's got a contusion on his head, but nobody says, let's get this man to the hospital to see what's going on. They just leave him in the cell. William.
18: You know, the thing that really bothered me about that is, you know, to your point, okay, so they deactivate the intercom system. And they said it was a one night screen that they were monitoring his, his, uh, the cell. Even if you're monitoring it, you could see in it. That doesn't mean that you, you'll be able to recognize or see if that person's in distress. That's why the intercom's there. That's why there's some kind of audio capability there if the person is, is wincing, wincing or gasping for air or something along those lines so they can audibly hear that this person's in distress because they may not see this on a one night screen. You're talking about so you sh- you're looking at nine different screens, uh, you know, picture in picture, and you've got this. No telling how big this is. Look, call it what it is. They didn't care. No, and 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 to Cliff's point, you know, I like the way they frame that that this was a medical technician, but you know, you really got to question, you know, this kind of person. He was one person on there, you know, and so it's it, it, again we've talked about this. This is this same behavior. Same behavior that, that the guards have, this guy had, is, is evident. And so it's like, okay, I've been medically trained, but I still don't care about well, these inmates.
8: Well, the issue is if you have the intercom off, which you should be locked up because you did it. That's true. You saw the man go to the door 19 times. <laughs> and we will probably just sit back with your little packed lunch, sit back, we don't care, we don't, we're not concerned about this. That's the culture. This guy didn't matter, and he killed
2: him. And then, I mean, that's what's truly disgusting there because, I mean, yeah, he he made several attempts to the point of where he bore himself out. He sprawled out on the floor, managed to crawl back up, and and still attempt to basically try to save his own life. Now, they, they say they, they could have disabled the, the buzzer or whatever, but it's like if they would have done that, they still had – I mean, it's documented. They said they noticed that the water changed color. The water changed color. They noticed that, and this guy, this medical examiner whose shift didn't until 10 p.m. did absolutely nothing.
8: And we're going to hear part two again. That talks about, you'd be surprised of the explanation the officer gave what was in the, in the, in the toilet that was red. That oh, it, yeah, Kool-Aid in itself. This was some life. type of
10: punch. He's had three sack lunches, perhaps.
8: Have you lost your mind?
10: Yeah, a uh, uh, juice box is not going to turn the toilet red and, so that you can see that on a monitor. And if you There's see, a difference yeah, with, a, with juice in the toilet and blood.
8: And if you see the video, it is dark ruby red. And he said well, the, the flavors was raspberry. Wow. That was his explanation. We'll deal with that when we hear that uh, on the other side of the break. Right now, we are honored to have, uh, joining us to get in, in, in on this conversation, Tasha Osborne, founder and CEO of Inmates Lives Matter of Georgia. And uh, I want to hear her perspective on this. We're honored to have her uh, to to chime in in this conversation. Tasha, are you with us? I'm here.
19: Thank you. Thank you for such a great introduction. I appreciate it.
8: You're very welcome, uh, Tasha. And uh, thank you for joining us tonight. And I don't know how much of this you've heard already. Uh, I'm going to give you the floor to introduce yourself. We're talking tonight primarily about the refusal of medical treatment in our prisons as part of our series, Voices from Behind the Wall. Uh, And I know you're going to be joining us as well uh, as uh, down the road during this series to discuss some other things that you have become very uh, uh, formidable at. So we're going to definitely have an opportunity to talk to you again. But right now, let me get get your thoughts uh, and tell the folks about your foundation, uh, not the foundation, excuse me, about your organization, uh, Inmates Lives Mm -hmm. Matter, as, as we deal with this issue of abuse behind the wall.
19: Okay, well, thank you. I'm Tasha Osborne. I'm the CEO of MA Science Matter Georgia, Inc. we're pretty new. Uh, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been an advocate for a really long time. First of all, can you hear me okay? I just want to make sure. Absolutely. Okay, perfect, perfect. Um, yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. I came to Georgia about 11 years ago, and I came to teach school, but I ended up working with inmates, and I fell in love with it, and it it never left me. So I decided to start my own. And what they go through on a daily basis You can't even put it into words The abuse, the torment The torture, the enslavement What they deal with on a daily basis Don't get me wrong If you commit a crime, quite naturally You do need to serve your sentence And you're going to be punished However, you're still a human And a lot of what they go through is just not called for And that's why we're here To fight for policy change inside Inside the wall Also, when they get out you know, let's get your job ready. Let's get your family job ready so that you are not tempted to go do the things that you used to do to go back behind the wall. So, we don't want that as well. Um, but as far as medical, can I start on medical?
17: Yeah, please. Can I begin Listen. on medical? Okay. That's our you know, Absolutely.
19: I've heard a lot of stories, so many. Um, one in particular, a friend of mine, and she texted me today oh, they're going to finally take him um, to inspect his colon or whatever. This, I mean, when I tell you she's for two years been begging these people to take him to Augusta Medical Prison to just check, just look, it's been almost two years. And they finally said, okay, we're going to do it. And they still haven't even given her a specific date. You know, so this is what they deal with on a basis. You know, out here we can just run to urgent care or the emergency room, but in there they have to put in a form and just hope that someone, you know, responds. So that's, that's pretty – and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that if it's a life and death situation, it's not going to respond. But for the most part, there always seems to be a delay on the response in medical. And that's, that's just right. been my experience since I've started this. And it's just not
8: fair. No, and you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. And I'll tell you now, from what we're finding, this is happening in an alarming rate that people – and I like the name of your organization, Inmates' Lives Matter – what we're finding with the Voices Behind the Wall uh, uh, series that we're doing indefinitely is that these folks are suffering in, in inhumane ways. It's they, life and death situations are going ignored. And I don't know if you heard part one of the, of the story about Mr. Myers, uh, the guy that asked, rang his intercom button, pressed that button 19 times begging somebody to help him because he was dying slowly in his cell. and they ignored him they ignored right. him and right now really quick uh tasha i want to play the conclusion of that so we can move on but i want you to hear the part okay. two of what happened to this man i'm going to get your perspective on it on the other side of this clip let's
18: play it mm-hmm.
14: At 9-18, Deputy Downs was on the rounds for the security check and peeked in the door window of Med Cell B. She apparently saw the blood in the toilet because she stood at the door window for several seconds, staring into the cell. She was about to leave the medical cell area when she doubled back to look in the cell again. She told Sergeant Woody Little, the jail commander, about what she had seen, and he suggested the red color was Kool-Aid.
15: It was very watery, like it was water, but it was red. And so that was like, that's kind of odd to me. And I asked the sergeant what we have on the food that's red. And he said, Kool-Aid, because it was a juice pack of Kool-Aid. And it was like raspberry flavored or something red flavored.
14: Sergeant Little explained what led to his opinion that the red color was caused by some kind of food product.
16: Well,
6: let's see, they had three stacked lunches today or stacked meals. So red jelly would have been in probably at least one of them. We also have Fruit Punch and God knows what else off the commissary truck that they have access to. So there's plenty of things.
14: Little said he wished Myers would have gone to the door and used the intercom to tell someone he was in distress.
6: I watched the video. I see Jake get up. I see him go to the toilet and I see that the water's leaves. He's standing. All he has to do
16: is walk over and push a button on the wall.
14: Of course, Myers had pushed the intercom button several times, and no one came to his aid. At 9.37, he was moving around on his bunk and fell off onto the floor. A few minutes later, at 9.41, he fell off again. The next round of security checks was at 10.03, and Deputy Clauser was the one making the rounds. If Clauser hadn't already seen the blood in the toilet from monitoring in the control room, he would have seen it on his look-in. Klauser explained, from his observations, he thought Myers was on drugs.
16: When you see people come in on a constant basis, I mean, people on drugs have, you know, erratic movement and seeing weird stuff and crawling around. um, Depends on the drug or the time lapse that it's been on, or or just like an alcohol detox. Uh, They do a lot of the. What a hallucinating
14: thing from around. At 10.43, it appeared Myers struggled to get something to drink from the sink in his cell. The next round of security checks was performed by Sergeant Little. When Little reached Myers' cell door, he spent a few seconds looking in. Something he saw in Myers' cell caused him to turn back and take another look. At that time, Myers appeared to be resting on his bed. The blood in the toilet was still easily seen. At 1120, Myers was lying on the floor. He struggled to get up and made his way to the door. He was still trying to get the attention of someone who would either hear the intercom or see him go to the door on the security video. When he left the door, it looked like he fell to the floor and in the process, hit the toilet. At 1127, Myers made another trip to the door and the intercom. When he left the door, he stood by the toilet. He presumably flushed the toilet this time because when he stepped away, the toilet bowl water was clear. The blood had been visible for about two and a half hours. In all, Myers made 19 trips to the door to push the button for help. From 1131 to shortly after midnight, Myers made his final five trips to the door. Each time he went to the door to try and reach someone on the intercom. Myers had to struggle to get up for his final trip to the door at 12.06. All of his trips to the door were ignored. Deputies who saw him on the monitor going to the intercom to ask for help also ignored him. Deputy Dwayne McCommons was on duty for security checks at 12.11. He quickly glanced in Myers' cell. Myers was resting on the floor at the end of his bunk. Myers was apparently becoming weaker and weaker. He tried to get up at 1219 and fell to the ground. He didn't look good. Deputy Clouser was monitoring Meyer's cell from the control room at
16: 1224. At one point, he, he dropped himself up on the toilet, sat there, and he got up, kind of stood up, wobbled, and then slowly he got to the bunk at the edge, and he kind of leaned into it, and then he Kind of fell against the wall, but real slow and controlled, and then slid down that, and then kind of kind of rolled onto the floor there.
14: At 12:33, Myers was propped up in a corner, and his head suddenly slumped forward. He never raised his head again. Apparently, the standard for an injured inmate to get help was to stop breathing. At 1250, Deputy McCommons noticed that Myers wasn't moving and decided he should go up to the cell and check on him.
16: I commented and I said, you know, he doesn't really look right. And Clouser and I was kind of checking how it looks looking. And I was getting ready to get up and Clouser said, maybe we should go check on him. So I got up and immediately went and checked on him.
14: Finally, at 1252, early on the morning of Thursday, May 28, 2015, a deputy entered Myers' cell. After all Myers' attempts to raise someone on the intercom, and after all his calls for help, it was too late. Deputy McCommons described what he found.
16: I checked his pulse on his wrist and then reached up and did a check for his carotid artery and I could feel no pulse. His uh, skin felt cold
14: and clammy. Deputies Swift and Hart joined McCommons. They did what they could, but Myers was dead. Time of death was given at 1:15 AM, but the security video showed he had stopped breathing about a half hour before that. The autopsy showed Jed Myers had a lacerated kidney. He had suffered massive internal bleeding. He had a broken rib. His right clavicle was broken. He also suffered an injury to the right side of his head and brain damage. The injuries stemmed from the assault Myers suffered shortly after 7 PM the day before. But his death was caused by the decisions made by the jail staff working under the policies and practices of Yamhill County. A well-equipped examination room is in the jail, but the records of Myers' death show no discussion of its possible use, and no one called for an ambulance. Myers' loved ones know that their son, nephew, and brother died alone in a cell at the county jail. Myers left behind a daughter, Lacey, who was three at the time of her father's death. The family agrees Myers was a good parent, a loving father. Jed Myers was 34 years old when he died inside the Yamhill County Jail.
8: Senseless death. And who will be held accountable? every excuse in the book being used to excuse away the failure to act by that county jail and its staff and the medical facility that I saw when I was getting this clip together, everything you could possibly need in that room to save a life is in that room. And he was a, t- he suffered these injuries At 725, the day before, an entire day, you did nothing. And in most protocols, in a fight or anything like that, the inmates are taken to medical immediately. That is the protocol that is supposed to be in place. And Tasha... Uh, Thanks for bearing with us on that clip. Give me your thoughts on this one.
19: Well, the excuses that are made, it's typical. Unfortunately, that's typical because now they're trying to protect themselves. Now they're afraid. So now everything, you know, they're going to defend it, come come up with things to justify it. And there's no way in the world you can justify this man's death. Dying alone, trying to get your attention, and you did nothing. But, of course, they have their own codes back there behind those walls to protect each other, to protect themselves, and they're going to come up with every excuse in the book. And that is so typical and very unfortunate, and it's just too common. It's too common. Cases like his, unfortunately, have happened um, since I began this process, you know, um, know, this journey, I should say. And Mm -hmm. just inmates in particular just, just crying out for help. And sometimes they're crying wolf, you know get attention we get it but you can't assume you don't know if he's hurt or not you know just just make sure you know and if he's lying then write him up do what you have to do but you can't assume that he's not telling the truth and that happens way too often way way too often you know in Georgia it's it's a typical protocol you know you have you know they're supposed to respond immediately Um, if they want medical or go to the doctor or get something checked out they have to put in a paper a lot of times they get ignored. A lot of times they're waiting weeks for things like getting a tooth pulled or pain or medications refilled, you know, things of that nature. And that should not happen. And then when things like that happen, then everyone has an excuse. There's no uh, way. every Everybody that was involved in that should be fired. They should be gone, you know, but they're not going to be.
10: And they should be not only fired but charged. brought up on charges. And the the insane Absolutely. The Insane thing about this whole story is who was charged in the death Two, the other two inmates that he got in a fight with, they got charged with and the story that they tell, uh, you know, in the Yam Hill Valley news register there in uh, in Georgia is how they got into this fight. And they say nothing about this entire clip and this, this real news story. They say they got in a fight sometime Wednesday and on Thursday morning, uh, a deputy that was manning the the uh, medical booth saw that he had slumped over. They don't tell the rest of the action that he, uh, you know, was tried tried to ask for help hitting the intercom button 19 times over a four hour period. They say nothing about that. All they say is that at about one o'clock, you know, nine one one was called and the deputy said he noticed something was wrong, and they're trying to blame it on these other two men when the staff that was there, they're the ones that did not provide any medical help for this man, and especially that medical examiner. He should, be, he should have his medical license, if he even has one, taken away, and he should be brought up on charges with the rest of the jail staff there because this is ridiculous. There was no reason for this man to die. You have a lacerated kidney. They put you in the hospital, put you on an antibiotic, give you some medical attention. Uh, you have a, a, a broken rib and a dislocated shoulder. Those are things that can easily be fixed. Though, all those issues, those are not uh, things that typically kill people. Those are things that people can go to the hospital for. They can get treatment, and in a week or two, they're back up to normal. But instead, this staff at this jail totally disregarded this man's plea for help, and here you have a man who died a horrific, lonely death, pain all the way to the end and they finally after he's dead 30 minutes after he stops moving say oh well looks like something might be wrong with him maybe we should uh go check him out after there was blood in the toilet for two hours yep yep
8: samson
2: yeah i'm i'm just echoing what clip was saying how it's ridiculous the the very first set of officers that even went to get him out of his cell they she said that she noticed a bump on his head you know a red one over his right ear. Now, I don't know about anybody else who's even seen a medical show or heard anything. A head injury requires immediate medical attention, no matter where you're at, you know. But not only that, now he, he talks about the wounds on his shoulders, and then you come to find out, yeah, he he shattered his collarbone. He's got broken ribs. He's got all these internal bleeding and everything like that going on, and they want to blame you know, grape jelly or some type of fruit drink from the cafeteria as to why the water in the toilets, red. When they, they can do, you know, what any common sense
8: individual would do and walk in there and look. No, absolutely. Right. Uh, Tasha, we're going to come back. You got time to stay with us.
19: Yes, I do.
8: We're going to come back. We're talking about a tragedy, Amanda Hogan. I'm going to share that story with you here on the other side of this break. This is AJC radio voices from behind the wall. Medical treatment denied to inmates across this nation as the body bags continue to pile up. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio.
19: Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering A Just Cause with a monthly, annual or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful conventions. Call A Just Cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3 wrongful convictions are wrong let's be the voice of those who can't
20: speak from behind the wall to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougasol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, Children who don't get Christmas presents and in some cases the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out of control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the ten biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit CSRXP.org.
6: Look, right now, uh, while you're looking at this on your screen, in your hand, or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell. And they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend. You didn't get caught, they got caught, and they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, we have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we, are, we have more people locked up than China. China, who has a billion people, they got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in on college campuses and uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in the housing projects where you got poor people doing fewer drugs and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors. Would you want to be known for the rest of your life? based on what happened that night. That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up. When you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity? There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, Koch Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're, we're wasting too much genius in America. And it's time to do something.
8: Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we are talking tonight, voices from behind the wall, and we're dealing with the lack and the denial of medical care uh, that is absolutely outrageous, and folks are dying, folks, uh, behind this type of behavior, Uh, and I'll go back to what I said before, this is a culture issue. Uh, and I'll tell you what, we're seeing it at an alarming rate and an alarming number of institutions, jails, county jails, prisons, federal, state, you name it. Medical treatment is not something uh, that is taken seriously to inmates. And that, that may be one of your loved ones. Uh, it, it's someone's loved one behind that wall suffering this injustice. And we continue, we, we definitely uh, will, will continue to adjust. Uh, to, excuse me, address these issues. We are, we are so happy to be joined by Tasha Osborne. She's founder and CEO of Inmates Lives Matter of Georgia. And uh, Tasha, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to be with us tonight. We really appreciate that.
19: You're welcome. You're very welcome. And thank okay. you for having me.
8: You're very, very welcome. And we intend to, to partner with you as much as we can. As, as we, It takes a village, they say. And it takes people coming together from organizations that have the passion Uh, To fight this injustice and what's going on behind prisons and jails in this country, and I believe you share that passion, and we definitely want to be a part of that as well. So you'll always have an ally and a friend here at AJC Radio as we continue uh, to address these. Thank
17: you.
8: You're very welcome. And Cliff, we have a caller, I believe.
10: Yes, we have uh, Latanya who has a comment. Uh, Latanya, you're live.
8: Thank you
0: so very much. Um, First of all, I wanted to tell Tasha. Osborne, how much we appreciate what she's doing for the inmates. That is so awesome for her to do. I wanted to speak on the, I've been listening to the show for a while and it just infuriates me that these prisons um, they, behind the wall, they do all kind of things and then they justify it. Like, and But these same actions that they do, they're locking people up for the same exact actions. It just it makes you just angry, angry, angry. I can't even imagine these families where they're children. They're still kids. They're dying in these cells, and they're being left alone. That was a horrible way for Mr. Myers to die. And for you, for you to have to do a double take, that means something stopped you when you walked away to turn back around. You're not going to tell me he sat there and said he, it was Kool-Aid or punch from, from coming from a commissary. He knew he was lying before he said it. And this kind of stuff, that, and when they let these people get off on this stuff, that's why they continue. And to have a policy that says that you check on them after they stop breathing, they're dead. So, and then you're not going to, CPR is not always going to bring somebody back to life. When you have, why have a facility if you're not going to do anything until somebody stops breathing? That doesn't even make common sense.
10: Right.
8: No, absolutely right.
0: Take taking my call.
8: No, thank you, and uh, that's absolutely right, um, and, and people should be outraged. They should be outraged, and uh, we, we appreciate LaTanya for that call. Listen to this very, real, real, real quick, folks. Amanda Hogan was among dozens of suspects arrested two years ago as part of a long-running drug sting run by the Cartel County Sheriff's Office. I think I pronounced that right, Carteret County Sheriff's Office, excuse me. Hogan, 28, had a history of opiate abuse, and she took prescription drugs for bipolar and personality disorders. She was also awaiting surgery on her right kidney, which had a stone and had become infected, causing throbbing lower back pain. But the arrest pushed off the surgery, and jailers didn't give her the prescribed medications for her mental illness. Despite jail staff knowing she was a suicide risk, her mother said after after going a week without her medications, she used a bedsheet to hang herself in her cell. She later died at the hospital. Her family is now suing the sheriff's office. Uh, several jail employees and the jail's health care provider, Southern Health Partners, allegedly deliberate de- an deliberate in indifference, reckless disregard, and gross negligence in her daughter's care. The lawsuit is one of several across the state that have alleged inmates died after a lack of access to prescribe medications. So you come into jail for whatever reason. Let me make this point very clear. When I come into a county jail, I'm not guilty of anything. That is simply the process to go through the courts. There has been no trial. There has been no conviction. This woman needed prescription medication, and they ignored it. And I, I know that firsthand from my wrongful conviction, there was a gentleman in there, a, a Hispanic gentleman, in county jail, in the unit with me. He brought in an inhaler because he suffered from very, very bad allergies, asthma, excuse me. They refused to give this man his, his inhaler. We could hear him breathing, fighting to breathe through the cell doors. In county jail, the Paso County Jail—that's Criminal Justice Center folks in Colorado Springs—and they never would give him. And the, the guy came out; he, he was—he was another Hispanic guy. He said, "He said, he said, Mr. Banks, I think he's going to die. That's how hard he's fighting throughout the night to breathe. They never gave him his inhaler." Tasha, your thoughts on that? Tasha, you um, with us?
17: And
19: typical and unfortunate in- incidents like that are typical, and they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. Um, it is, it's 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 torture. And, and like you said, when you're in the county jail, you haven't been convicted, indicted, or you know you're just there waiting.
1: Right. And
19: I don't know. I just feel. I, I, I'm still thinking honestly about the individual who died with sure. the punch and the, the who thought it was Kool Aid in the in the toilet. That's so absurd to me. Like they didn't even check. To see what it was, they just assumed. So yeah, again, those instances are very typical and very unfortunate, and just just way too common, way too common. And that's and why like, we're here
8: to keep fighting. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, no, absolutely right, Tosh. And, and Dennis, go ahead.
9: I, I was just thinking too. I mean, uh, until there's repercussions, until there's uh, you know consequences for uh, what what these what these uh, guards are doing. And what they're not doing, is going to continue to happen. I mean, and, and again, the voice, uh, you know, people speaking out is truly, I mean, it's awesome. But again, we always talk about uh, what. No matter what, when it's time to vote, look for those people that are against recidivism. You know, re- against. Uh, I- I'm trying to say the word. You know, bringing prisoners going back in and out. Sure, recidivism. Uh, you know, recidivism. Yeah. So, so you know, can look for. Yeah. We need to start voting for those people that are truly about making sure that, you know, it's not tough on crime. Don't get me wrong. We need to be tough on crime, but we need to be compassionate. So I think we're going to have to, you know, get out there and vote, 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 make a difference, get the
8: people in office that can make an effect. And, and, And the problem is they're arresting people. So the argument of tough on crime wouldn't apply here. These exactly. folks are; they're in custody. True. You're killing these people after they're in custody, which is a nightmare. And to me, it's I don't care if you're convicted of a crime. If I was it doesn't given, matter. It doesn't matter. Guess what? The judge didn't sentence me to the to, to lethal injection.
17: That's right. With
8: my crime, but you have correctional officers, you have deputies that fill a need. To give you the death penalty. You heard about? We talked you about the guy in Texas. Uh, the prison, the air condition, no air conditioning in the prison. One hundred and
18: forty-four degrees. One hundred and
8: forty-four degrees. Oh. Guess what? Wouldn't even give him a fan off commissary. Wow. He died. You know what he's, You know what, he's, what, what he was in prison for? A, a bad check. A six-month turnaround. He got the death sentence. Because of of what's going on with the failure to act,
18: that's unacceptable.
8: It's unacceptable. Uh, And I believe this, Tasha, I'm going to get your thoughts on this as well. Okay. I have a clip I'm getting ready to play regarding a judge. The reason I'm bringing this judge into this conversation,
18: there is a culture
8: in the criminal justice system to not care or help those that are hurting. This particular young lady, I don't want to tell the story. I'm going to play the story for you, and I'm going to get your thoughts on this. This is absolutely outrageous. Let's play it. Right now, a Broward
14: judge facing scrutiny after video surfaced showing her berating a woman in bond court.
0: Yeah, that judge has since resigned. But as you can see in that video, the judge seemingly ignoring the inmates'
1: request for medical treatment Days later, her family says she died at home. Local 10's Mavin Wright is, li- is in Fort Lauderdale with more. This is not at all the type of behavior you'd expect to see from a judge. The defendant's family says they're appalled by the way she was treated when she appeared here at Boncourt. Oh,
17: no, she didn't. The
1: family of 59-year-old Sandra Twiggs in shock as they watched video of her court appearance. They don't say anything beyond what I am asking
0: you. Trust me, I am... Ma'am.
1: Ma'am. Ma'am! Ma'am! Twigs in a wheelchair suffered from asthma and COPD. She was charged with a misdemeanor after getting into a fight with her daughter. While in Boncourt Sunday, Twigs started coughing. Ma'am, do you need water? Just nod your head. Ma'am, I'm not here to talk to you about your breathing treatment. The family says when she got home Monday, she was so upset she could barely speak. She said they treated me so bad. And she said, all I wanted was some medical attention and some help. The next day, the family found her dead in her room. (laughs) It's okay. Public defender Howard Finkelstein wrote a letter to the chief judge at Broward County Court saying... Judge Merrilee Ehrlich demonstrated aggressive and tyrannical behavior and revealed her lack of emotional fitness to sit on the bench.
18: To see a person begging you for help and trying to talk to you, and you treat them like a dog for what reason?
1: The family believes the way the judge treated Twigs and the night she spent in jail might have played a role in her death.
17: If that judge is listening to us and looking at us, I hope you can sleep at night knowing that
18: you killed her.
8: Ladies and gentlemen, it is time that action happened. We can go on and on. I saw the video. The lady was being respectful, apologized to the judge. I'm sorry, judge. I'm sorry. For what? And when she began to ask for her breathing treatment, The judge ignored her and told her to shut her mouth. Well, judge, she did, but she did it permanently as a result of that type of abuse in a courtroom. And this is what I'm talking about, Tasha. The culture starts from the bench, starts with police. From the time you get handcuffs put on you, the culture that your life simply does not matter starts And that is unacceptable in every possible
4: way.
19: You know, in cases like that, you know, to him, she wasn't human. And it just didn't matter, no matter what she said. And then she ended up dying. I know one thing for sure, that um, these individuals who should be held accountable, families have got to stop being afraid to report, email, show up at events that that are held for families. Come in 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 droves, you know. Show up in numbers. Like in Georgia, they have a family, a friends and family day. You know, a lot of the families come and they get the chance to say what's on their mind. You can't not go to those 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 events. You have to show up. You have to show up. You have to email. Create your paper trail. Don't just call. Call and email. Always back your calls up with an email, and find out who's on top of who, who's over who, who's supervisor of this, and. Get these people and write these names down and create those emails and, and keep doing it. Keep writing. Keep keep calling. Keep emailing. And create your paper trail because now you have proof. And if you mail anything to anybody, get it certified. Make sure that these people have to sign before they, they get any of this mail because these are lives that are being lost. And, unfortunately, many, many more are going to be lost. That's unfortunate. But, you know, there are ways to fight. And a lot of times I think that the family members don't think that there's any way that they can get anyone to listen to them or, you know, any, any kind of justice can be served. And maybe not all the time, but you do have a voice and you have to use it. You know, one thing for sure that I do know in in Georgia Department of Corrections, they're big and bad. They're, they're tough guys, but no one wants to get told on. And, and there's ways to tell on them. There's ways to to, to get this stuff in their records. There's ways to get this stuff in their records permanently. You just have to act and don't think that your voice is worthless. It is. It means everything. But a lot of times individuals don't say anything because they don't think anything is going to happen. And again, a lot of times it doesn't. But you have to keep trying. You have to keep trying. You have to keep trying. Because me, if it's my family member, I'm everybody's going to hear me. Everybody, I'm going to write, email. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in front of the building with a bullhorn. I'm going to do what I have to do. But again, right. because a lot of these individuals don't think that they're they're, you know, they're worth, you know, any you know no one is going to listen to them. They don't think anyone they don't think that what they feel is worth it. And it is. These are your family members, and they're being hurt, they're being abused, they're being tormented. And let's face it, the the Thirteenth Amendment says that you know you are a slave unless you're a convicted felon. And a lot of these people are, who are convicted felons don't even know that they're being enslaved. But that's exactly what it is. And the oh. families have got to start opening up their mouths. I don't care. For the minute you get up, get on that email, get these names, get these last names, first names and last names, what are these email addresses? Find out whatever event is going on in your area associated, not necessarily your area, associated with the DOC that you're affiliated with. Find out these, get in these groups. They'll tell you if you get in these support groups, They will. these women are no joke. The mothers, the wives, they're no joke get affiliated with it if I'm saying this because I know after this people can hear your show later I do blog talk too and I know that this is for life and I want to say this anybody who's listening please do not be afraid go to these events get involved in these groups because you will find a lot of a lot of information that you need that you didn't even know existed okay so there, it, it's it's worth it you know lives are being lost and we we can fight we we can fight there's a lot of ways to fight this I
8: didn't mean oh, to talk too much. I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine, Tasha. We, that's definitely important information. Uh, and I, I would advise our listeners to pay attention to those words because it does matter. Uh, here's another story heartbreaking. Six months ago, 39-year-old Dante Wilson was in a Wisconsin jail for a child support violation. He complained of chest pains, and the jail nurse concluded he had a heartburn and gave him two tums. Less than an hour later, Wilson asked for help again. Relax was the nurse's advice. Soon after, Wilson died of a heart attack. The nurse told a detective weeks later, yeah, we don't want to drag uh, it out. The expletive happens. The nurse was fired. She worked for Advanced Correctional Healthcare, a company serving 255 correctional facilities in 17 states. Dante Wilson's death was not unique. We found ACH settled at least six lawsuits with families whose relatives died from preventable causes. Outrageous. Something? Yeah,
2: I mean I'm just sitting over here. I I'm still recalling the, the 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 clip I saw of Miss Twiggs when it was I mean so, I mean like on headline news and the way the judge spoke to her and belittling her and berating her in the courtroom is ridiculous. And then we have all these um these people that are just dying senselessly because people don't people truly don't care enough whether you've been convicted or not, because like you've duly pointed out, County Jail, they're you're not guilty of anything. You're still but they're being treated like less than human. They're you know, they're not even afforded the, the same rights as the average American citizen. Nothing like this. And and let me go ahead and preface this. Not not to download or downplay any historical events, but they are turning the prison system this quote unquote justice system into modern day Auschwitz it's what they're doing they're sending people here and they're dying left absolutely. and right
8: no absolutely right and uh, I believe we have a caller uh,
10: that wants to chime in on this conversation Cliff yes we have uh, Amber who has a comment Amber you're live
21: hi um, yeah I was just calling the comment on the report not reporting it and the abuse me if I don't report something at my job Um, I work with elderly people, so if I don't report report a medical abuse or um, just anything in that sort, it's a Class 3 misdemeanor for me. These people are looking down at us because they see us as criminals. But what makes me any less of a criminal for not reporting than you any less of a criminal for not reporting? And, I mean, you get a chuckle out of it, and they do nothing about it. So, I mean, they're no better than the people who they're looking down on. It just, it's ridiculous. And... You know, like the last lady who just spoke, we do need to speak up. I mean, us coming together is power, but so many people are so afraid of what's going to happen and the consequences rather than looking at the reward in the end. I mean, if we all come together like you guys are doing on this show and speak up, you know, maybe we can make a difference. But like I said, for me to get a Class three misdemeanor for just not reporting something that I'm suspicious of and them nothing happening to them for doing the abuse physically and neglecting these people medically is just—it's ridiculous. It's mind blowing. I just—I had—I had to call and comment on that because it's not—it's not acceptable. And I'm so glad that someone is finally stepping up and doing something about it.
8: And thank you for that call. Uh, we echo that sentiment. Uh, it's, we said this before. This
6: is unequal
8: justice in this country. I would like to read a story that says. When a nurse says, tells a man to relax and sends him home uh, to his cell with two Tums because she's too lazy to do the due diligence to make sure this man is not suffering from a heart attack or the symptoms that come prior to a heart attack, you should be medically trained to do that. But says he has heartburn, yeah, his heart is getting ready to stop.
10: No thanks to you. And, you know, the one of one of the issues with these situations um, is that when 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 something does come up and and one of these families uh, gratefully, you know, get some type of closure by being able to uh, bring up a a civil suit and, you know, uh, get some monetary damage or something like that from the state jails. From the federal prisons, these settles are t- these cases are typically settled. That they say, okay, uh, we're not going to admit to any wrong, and you're going to kind of give us some a little bit of leeway on 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 what happened, and we'll give you a check. But these things, when when it happens and it's something to do with the taxpayer money, it should mandatorily be put out in the public. Yeah, we settled, but. So and so's brother died. So and so's husband died because this happened at the jail, and tell the entire story to the public. Otherwise, all these things just continue to be swept under the under the rug. Yeah, somebody somebody died because of negligence at a jail or at a federal prison, and that case just disappears. Nobody ever hear about it. Right. You have to go and search these things out in the news, like this thing with um with uh with with Jed Myers. Now, that's not something that you saw on CNN. That's something that, OK, uh, our research team, people have to go and search to find these stories because the families have settled. And, and uh, you know, trust me, I, I take nothing away from the fact that uh, these, you know, these state institutions, these private institutions and these federal institutions owe these families for what they're lost. But it should be mandatory that this information is put out in the public so we all know what happened. Like, oh, OK, Sure, you settle with the family. They got a check, but something needs to happen so that this stuff is exposed. Otherwise, the culture becomes that okay. Well, yeah, I can I can call the inmate's death, but you know the the state will settle. It's tax pay, It's taxpayers' money. It it doesn't come out of these uh out of these uh jail uh, employees' pockets. So they're saying, hey, well, nothing really happened to me, so I get to keep my job. The state settles and everybody goes on about their merry way. These are the type of things when we say get out and vote, get out and uh, make your voice heard, get out and protest. You have to do it. Otherwise, it uh, th- these things just continue. And it's a travesty. All the people who are dying behind bars for something as as simple as medical attention and as silly as the uh the nurse on staff saying, "Well, here, take two tums you you must have ate some uh some something that was too spicy or something. take two tums and a man dies of a heart attack. This is totally totally insane, and it has to be put to an end, but again, these type of things have to be brought to the public's uh attention so that that way we can make a a, a knowledgeable decision." if we want to say, okay, we want to, we want to vote on taxes. Well, no, we don't want more taxes to go to the jailhouse when you're killing people and then settling with the families. That's not what the jail is supposed to be for. It's supposed to be for, uh, for, for reforming a person, for getting them to be rehabilitated uh, in their mind about the things that they're doing if they indeed committed a crime. And then the second part um, is that if you have somebody that goes to jail And say there's somebody in county jail, they haven't even been convicted of anything. They haven't even been sentenced. They end up dying. And you're like, okay, I was there for a traffic violation. Or I was there because I was accused of something. I got arrested. I'm I'm supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. But you have people who are given the death sentence for just showing up in a jailhouse and being kept sometimes, not even overnight. In a few hours, you have people dead from the time they walked in a healthy individual. That's not acceptable in today's society.
18: Well, you know, I, I just want to add something to what Cliff said. The thing, the reality is, is that, and we've learned this from corporate America. They settle, and the reason they settle is because the penalty that they're paying is is so much less than you know the real justice that they deserve. So they they basically say, "Oh, okay, we'll we'll settle out of court with these guys," because basically it's pennies to them. Like you said, Cliff, it's it's the taxpayers' dollars. So. They really see that as not being a penalty. They don't see that as being a punishment. So they're quick to settle. And then they can, they can you know, the settlement, that whole process is, is something else involved. You know, the court system is involved, and they can, they can appeal, and they can do all of these other things. doesn't mean that they'll necessarily cut a check right then. But, it, but the, part, the bottom line is this. Until we actually, if, until they actually have some skin in the game, and like Cliff said, either, either it's exposure Some other kind of ramifications, the punishment that is deserving of a loss of life, which I don't I don't know what that is, but, you know, something significant that makes them reevaluate what's going on. And then when you talk about that nurse, you said lazy. you know, the bottom line is none of these people care. They don't care. You know, and I mean, you have a badge, you have a title, you're sitting there to check a box and say, you know what? This, this is a licensed facility. They have these many guards, and they have this many medical staff. It doesn't mean that they're going to do anything for these people. No,
8: absolutely right. And uh, uh, I think Tasha's point is, is to be made, Tasha, when you when – you, it really implores people to get involved, to just press and press and press and do not stop. I think that's critically important that that message be driven home tonight. Because the system is designed to tire you out and to give up. That's how the system is set up. Well, nobody's listening. Well, I've done this and nobody cares. But I think, as you said, as we if we continue to press and and not grow tired and continue to let our be heard, I, I have no doubt that uh, that that uh, change would uh, definitely be instituted in these situations. Your thoughts? You talking
19: about me? Yes, me. Sir. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. Oh, absolutely. Okay. um, you, you Absolutely. You have to. And you know what? For the people in, in, in Radioland listening who hear this, who's listening now and who will who, who hear this later, learn your people's inside people. Learn that counselor's name. Who's your warden? Who's your warden of security? Who's the, you know, just find out these names and write them down. And, and and copy and write their email addresses down. And don't be afraid of them. These are human beings. They get, they're they getting paid. This is their job. And a lot of them are not that smart. So don't be intimidated by them. These names down, record them. Who is, your, who is the case manager for your son or your, or your daughter? Who is that case manager? And a lot of times there's a turnover rate with wardens and counselors and things of that nature. So what? You know what? You get a new one, find out who the new one is. What's your name? Hi, how are you? I just wanted to introduce myself. Listen, you know what? My son is on your caseload, and I just wanted to say hello. And listen, if you need anything or have any questions about him, just let me know and call me. You have to let these people know that you love them, (laughs) that they have people who love them. Unfortunately, everybody doesn't have family members like that. But if you have someone on the inside, let those people know that there's somebody out here rooting for them and supporting them because they don't think, they don't look at them like that. They don't see them. They just see that ID number that identification number, and that's it. So call in, let yourself be heard, let yourself be known. Hey, how are you? Good morning. Hi, listen. So-and-so is my son, my my loved one, my husband. I just wanted to introduce myself. I don't have anything to say. No questions. I just wanted to say hello. I just wanted you to know me. I just wanted to get to know you. Let these people know that you exist because it matters. It definitely matters. You know, everybody doesn't have that, but if they do, just, just use it. Use your voice.
8: No, absolutely, Tasha, and you're right about that. Once they find out that there's people out here that care and will blow their phones up, and I don't mean that literally, <laughs> making phone calls, uh, they get a little uneasy. They get a little nervous uh, because, it, man, who's calling? You know, uh, and, and and you know, I'm telling you, I'll tell you what, they begin to move when they know somebody's out there that's yeah. going to hold them accountable. Uh, They get a little uneasy. They may show attitude. You can show as much attitude as you want, but I'm gonna let you know that's my brother. That's my father. That's my sister, whatever the case might be. And uh, out of respect for your time, Tasha, I want to thank you uh, for joining us. I do want to give you an opportunity uh, to tell folks how can they get involved with uh, your organization, Inmates Lives Matter, how do we collectively get together? Can you give our listeners how they can contact you if necessary? And again, sure, we're
19: sure
8: and uh, we thank you for spending an hour and a half with us, it's been definitely uh, productive. So, put out there, you're uh, welcome, it's
19: my pleasure.
8: Anytime, anytime,
19: thank you so much, you so much. You're how can
8: folks? and 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 reach out and be a part of this organization as we fight for justice. Well, let me give thing.
19: you guys my business line nine one two five five zero forty seven forty seven area code nine one two five five zero four seven four seven that's my around o'clock all day everyday phone number if you have any questions call me or you can email me at inmates lives matter g a inmates lives matter g a at gmail dot com inmates lives matter at gmail dot com i am approachable accessible i'm just everything just whatever you just, just I'm not one of those people. Just whatever you need, you have a question. Just please let me know. I'm also on Facebook, which is like probably more of my addiction than Twitter or or any other group. I do have right. a group, M.A. Lives Matter of Georgia, but it's not of Georgia. That's M.A. Lives Matter Georgia chapter on Facebook. It's the chapter is in there. So if you group you know, you look it up. Just put the chapter in, it will pop up, and just come in. I have a great group, peaceful. And those ladies and men are on fire for their loved ones. So please just check me out um, anytime and just let me know whatever you need. If you have a problem, an issue, you want us to fight for you, for your individual who is incarcerated, just let me know. And I'm always here 24-7. And thank you for having me on this great show, and I look forward to the next time.
8: Thank you, Tasha, so much. And uh, uh, the feeling is mutual. We look forward to bringing you back because we'll definitely have you back. As the Voices Behind the Wall series uh, we'll continue, as I said earlier, indefinitely as we become the voice for the voiceless. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your evening, and we'll definitely be in touch offline. You're okay? welcome.
19: You too. Thank you. Have a good bye. night. Bye bye.
8: Thank you. Take care. There you have it, folks. Tasha Osborne, founder CEO of Inmates' Lives Matter of Georgia. Uh, I like her spunk, her fire uh, to fight for these folks, and and she's talking. I'm, we're definitely gonna go out there and. Uh, uh, Facebook, look for uh, uh, Inmates' Lives Matter, Georgia Chapter, as she stated. Uh, let's get involved. Uh, she seems to have the passion uh, that advocates should have uh, to make a difference. So your thoughts on this guest and what she provided to this show? Hey,
2: absolutely. I mean, she came She came at a, you know, she's noticed a problem, and she provided not only a, a solution but a tangible way for everybody else to get involved, too. I mean, she's not just talking about, you know, um hey let's tear down the justice system and rebuild something no she's talking about hey look these people need a voice these people need advocates we need to get out there we need to make their voices heard we need to speak up for them we need to you know attack this problem with with all forms that we can be it social media be it email be it telephone calls be it protests and you know peaceful protests you know but just so that people know that you know just because you're you're behind a wall and you think you have some position of authority you're not going to get us to shut up you're not going to get us to be quiet and you're not going to you know we're not going to let their voices be silenced until something happens to help those
8: that are behind the wall oh, absolutely right and folks uh right now we're going to take a quick break come back with a couple of more clips and uh another horrific story voices behind the wall medical care causing the deaths of many the lack of medical care rather in our prisons and jails causing deaths around this nation. This is agency radio voices from behind the wall. We'll be right back.
11: I don't have to tell you about the challenges we face every day. That would be like preaching to the choir. Today you have a chance to face the challenge of your risk for diabetes. My dad had diabetes and one in four U.S. adults are at risk, myself included. If you're older than 45 or African-American, that risk increases. So here's a chance to ask yourself, what can I do? Talk to your doctor about getting screened and know what your options are. Learn more at askscreenknow.com.
22: When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do board chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life.
23: There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words.
17: Broken down that tire living life On the merry round
8: Shane Carson Walked into a Spokane County jail it in, so walk
17: it
8: out. Sometime after 10.30 a.m. On June 13th Less than 10 hours later A corrections officer Was dragging him out of the cell By his ankles Says Trevor Primo Carson's cellmate ankles says trevor primo his face was purple his forehead was cut between his eyebrows his cellmate watched his correction officers and medical staff tried and failed to revive carson 31 now one of seven people to die in the facility in the past 14 months the spokane county sheriff's office does not oversee the jail but is investigating carson's death and has thus far released few details Detective Lyle Johnston says he is waiting on the results of a toxicology report. There's been an issue with the state crime lab, Johnston said. Years ago, we got results within four to eight weeks, and now it seems to take like we're waiting months. A news release indica- indicated in June that the detective is investigating a potential assault, but Johnston says he has no evidence to support that initial suspicion. In a recent jailhouse interview, Primo denies that he assaulted Carson and describes a man in the midst of a drug withdrawal. Primo, who acknowledges using drugs in the past, says Carson would wake up in fits, shaking. He was drenched in sweat and his skin was very pale. Primo says he called correction officers to the cell door at least two times. Each time the cop came by and he was like, oh, he's just detoxing. He's just detoxing. It's normal, Primo says. Later in that evening, Carson starts hyperventilating. Quick breaths, in and out, which Primo demonstrates during an interview at the jail. At the time, he calls the correction officers again. I'm like, the dude's not doing good. Can I get into a different room or something? If you're not going to come in here and check this dude out and make sure he's okay. Again. Absolutely inexcusable. So the guard make the st- makes the statement, well, he's just detoxing. That's all he's doing. But he's hyperventilating. He's struggling to breathe. And that's your answer. Don't worry about it. He's just detoxing.
2: Yeah, I think it's absolutely just appalling. Like Every time that we, we hear about one of these stories about a death of one of these inmates or even a detainee in county jail— there's always some lame excuse that is given by the people that are supposed to be caring for these individuals. I mean, oh, he's detoxing. Oh, that's just you know fruit punch in the, in the, the toilet bowl or this or that. They, they, there's every reason they can give except to act like a decent human being. Yes, there's somebody that may or may not have done something wrong that's in the cell. But that doesn't mean you sit there and neglect them to the point that they die. I mean, here we are, case after case after case of people being mistreated by this injustice system and and dying as a result. For some of them, for what a, a, was it a a child support check? They got called back. A child support check, really? I mean, come on. There there are there are people um, that are incarcerated in far worse situations for far worse crimes and they're still alive today. People on death or they're still alive today, but somebody in county lockup is gonna die over something small because somebody didn't want to
8: do their job.
2: Well it No go ahead Sebst. No, I'm just saying it's ridiculous. That's all.
8: No, absolutely right. Um this is outrageous folks. And you can sit back and listen and say, Man, this is really a shame, but what are you gonna do about it? How many phone calls are you gonna make? How many marches do you want to call to protest this injustice how many prisons do we need to walk around how many county jails do we need to picket? and say this is not going to be tolerated in my community it's something that needs to be looked at we got a clip for you we'll talk on the other side of this clip
1: A 23-year-old flowery branch man who suffered two seizures while in the care of the Gwinnett County Jail disputes the official finding that his death was unavoidable.
3: Chris Howard went into cardiac arrest back in February, hours after being admitted to the jail. Fox 5 i-team reporter Randy Travis reviewed surveillance video which raises some questions about how deputies handled Howard's situation. today, Some of this may be difficult for some people to watch. Howard suffered from a rare disease called MCAD, which requires eating on a regular basis to avoid death from low blood sugar levels. Well, jail video confirms he was fed shortly after arriving, but it also reveals something else, a nearly one-hour delay in getting to the medical unit, despite the insistence of medical staff.
12: I just know that my son was healthy. And There's absolutely no way he should have went into this jail and not made it out alive.
3: Robert Howard figured Chris had survived the danger zone of a disease that had already claimed the life of his first son when he was just five. Chris grew up to be athletic, popular, tall and lanky with chiseled good looks. A man constantly on the move. The only legal mistakes of his 23 years would turn out to be a drunk driving arrest on New Year's Day and a positive marijuana test on February 15th that landed him in the Gwinnett County Jail, a place from which he'd never regain consciousness. How often did Chris have to eat to make sure he didn't get sick? Well, we we never even, you know, MCAD never even became an issue. We never even talked about it after
12: the time that they were 13, 14 years old.
3: MCAD can leave someone with dangerously low blood sugar levels if they don't eat regularly. All of the Howard children have MCAD. Howard says his son did not have a chance to eat lunch the day he failed his drug test at the probation office. But he says Chris had missed meals before, as an adult, with no issues. How much do you think MCAT had to do with his death? I don't think it had anything at all to do with it. He thinks the answer can be found on jail surveillance video. That's Chris sitting in jail admissions the afternoon he was brought in, chatting with others while eating a sandwich. Jailers knew about his condition. A few hours later, he's on the phone in a holding cell when suddenly he suffers a seizure and drops to the floor. Deputies and nurses quickly arrive, members of the jail's rapid response unit holding Howard down while he begins suffering a second seizure. As he starts to recover, the doctor on call orders Howard taken upstairs to the jail infirmary, quote, immediately. Nurses later told jail internal affairs investigators they made the same request. You, I
0: don't want anything to happen to this man down here, so... Take
19: him upstairs.
3: Deputies placed Howard in a transport chair and cuff him. According to their reports, he was calm, smiling and asked for some water. But instead of rushing him to medical, deputies decide to put him on the floor in cell 13 for observation, a direct conflict of the medical staff's instructions.
4: Unfortunately, we have some seizures around here. It's kind of like to, it, I related it to
22: the story
3: before Chris Howard would spend the next 30 minutes rolling around cell 13, crying for help, unable to sit up, clearly weak, repeatedly trying to knock on the door to get someone's attention. Occasionally, a deputy would peer through the window, then move on. I saw
17: him in the window of cell 13. He looked very pale. And to me, um, I remember thinking he looked like this. I figured this is something that nurses knew about it. You know, we'll
3: just keep, a, keep an eye on So he's sort of forgotten about for at least 30 minutes.
17: It's one thing we've been looking for is answers. You know, it's been killing us for eight months.
8: Just, uh,
17: it makes me mad. It makes me sad. But he had to go that way.
3: Eventually, a nurse finds him and insists again he be taken to medical. But for a second time, there is little urgency. They finally say, okay, yes, let's get him up to the infirmary. And they take 12 minutes to go change his clothes so they can put a jail uniform on him first. Why? Why would you do that? Why would anybody do that? Now officially dressed, deputies wheel him toward the medical unit called J.J., But Howard's legs keep falling off the chair.
9: And that moment we didn't run one, but we kind of speeded up our pace getting the chase. And that's when the nurse was like, he doesn't look
3: well. Fifty minutes after he was supposed to be taken to medical, Howard had gone into cardiac arrest. Members of the rapid response team would work frantically to try to bring him back. But by the time he was taken to Gwinnett Medical, doctors determined the damage to his brain was irreversible. He was officially declared dead the following day at the time chris howard was having his seizures here his blood sugar turned out to be a normal 93. could he have died from some cause other than mcad could the delay in getting him medical care have somehow contributed to his death well the medical examiner who conducted the autopsy says the answer to both those questions is most likely no dr michelle stauffenberg ruled howard's death a result of a complication of a genetic disease, MCAT. She wrote, his death had already begun before he arrived at the jail because of the missed meal. As for the 50-minute delay in getting him to the infirmary, she told the Fox 5i team, I don't know one way or the other. I would tend to believe it would not have had an effect. The process was already in motion. Considering his condition, are you certain that this 50-minute delay would have made a difference and you'd be alive today? I think it
12: would make a difference with anybody. Chris was 23, um, very healthy guy, and I just don't think MCAT had anything to do with this.
3: Well, the internal affairs case was officially closed last week. All jail personnel cleared of any wrongdoing. There's a new policy in place though. Whenever someone from the medical staff says take an inmate to the medical unit, they are to go immediately, even if they're not in a jail uniform. Makes sense, huh?
1: That definitely makes sense. And in medical emergencies, we're always taught that every second counts.
3: Right, right, right. Exactly. I mean, even if he had medcad or mcad, and we don't know that that was the case, you know, 50 minutes would seem to make a big difference. I don't get where the doctor would say that that wasn't a factor. She just thinks that it already started beforehand. But she also leaves herself a little bit of wiggle room. In the report, she also says it could be that he died from some other unknown cause. So she's not saying it's 100% mcad. The family sure wishes that he had a chance, though, that 50-minute delay to perhaps get him somewhere else where a cardiac arrest could have been handled by someone of, you know, more medical training than just mm. some deputies pushing him down the hallway and in a wheelchair. I'm
5: sure they'd appreciate some definitive answers as well.
3: Yeah.
1: Randy, thank you so much.
4: Okay,
3: thanks, Randy. That is the
8: most horrific story and we have many 50 minutes almost an hour medical said get him up here now I'm I'm lost for words here how do you justify how who are you to say that this young man was dying before he ever got to the jail. He was sitting down
18: eating a sandwich
8: and smiling in custody. But you want to come back and say, well, he was all, the death had already started. So guess what, folks? If you're having a heart attack, no need to call 911 because he's dead anyway before we get there. Are you kidding me? ridiculous. And as usual, as Tasha pointed out, this is typical. No, no one charged, cleared of any wrongdoing as body bags continue to increase in number. It's unacceptable, folks. When do we get tired enough of this nonsense? And the nurse, the doctor, whoever she is, making an excuse. You're lying is what you're doing. Don't worry about the family, the pain in that father's voice. 23 years old, dead. For no reason. Because they failed to do their job. You can call it whatever you want to call it. You can wiggle room, as the reporter said. Well, she gave herself a little work. You don't have any. You're a killer. That's what you are. And until we call it what it is, we're never going to change anything. Call it
18: what it is.
8: How poor health care turned Walter Jordan's prison sentence into a death sentence. Walter Jordan tried to tell the world he was dying in prison in Arizona when he mailed a handwritten message had notice of impending death to the federal court in Phoenix. Nine days later, he was dead. According to Dr. Todd Wilcox, the physician who reviewed Jordan's case, the 67-year-old might have survived if he had received competent treatment by the Arizona Department of Corrections and its private, for-profit healthcare contractor, Corazon Health. Jordan died of invasive squamous cell skin cancer that ate through his skull and invaded his brain. Dr. Wilcox identified multiple deficiencies in Jordan's care, concluding that his death was unfortunate and horrific, and that he had suffered excruciating, needless pain in the final months of his life. Jordan himself testified to his own impending death in his letter. ADOC and Corazon delayed treating my cancer, he wrote. Now because of their sick delay... I may be lucky to be alive for 30 days. Jordan died in prison, but his words have reached us, and they are a call to action against poor prison conditions that lead to pain and death for prisoners who have a right to proper care from the institutions charged with their custody. How sick is that? Uh, it, it to me
2: it's absolutely gut wrenching cuz reading over some of the articles here like Corizon is just one of the uh, the institutions that does uh care uh for some of the prison systems and county uh lockups and we're talking billion dollar contracts billion dollar contracts to provide adequate healthcare to these to these men and women that are behind bars and you're telling me that they can't get prescription medication they can't get they can't even get seen for obviously having something wrong with them until they're in a county lockup or prison uniform and, and not only this now we have to have a policy we have to have a policy made to tell you to define what immediately means when somebody's an, when a medical professional tells you get them up there right now
8: well if you've been cleared of all wrongdoing why are you changing policy <laughs> why do I feel the need to change policy immediately if we're cleared of any wrongdoing, it means we're doing our job.
2: Doesn't make sense, does it? Not at all. It's, it's just it's one thing after another after another. Like you said, they're just they're stacking body bags left and right of these people and you know, giving themselves way too much r- wiggle room and nobody's holding them accountable. I mean, like you said, how many pe- how many places do we have to stand in front of and picket and boycott and call and do whatever we got to do? To get this story out there so that people know The true injustice that is going on behind those walls
8: No, absolutely right, Samson Final clip of the night, we're going to play that We're going to close out
4: Let's play it I actually watched a good friend of mine That was not a life-term inmate Who had a definite date to get out Turn green
13: and die in his bunk Prison healthcare in the U.S. is broken after serving their time, prisoners will almost certainly be sicker upon their release, if they even make it that long. Joseph Calderon was in prison for 17 years.
4: While serving time in the security housing unit, I had chest pain one night. Seven sharp pains that woke me up out of a dead sleep.
13: Joe wasn't able to see a doctor the night of his chest pain. It wasn't until two weeks later that he finally got to see one. Joe says the doctor told him he just had a muscle cramp and sent him back to the cell with Benadryl. While prisoners are the only Americans who are constitutionally guaranteed to have healthcare, they often have to fight to see doctors and get medicine. Okay, so why is prisoner healthcare so bad? When it comes to political power, prisoners rank pretty much at the bottom. In certain states, they can't even vote. And prisoners rank at the bottom of the social ladder too. American society generally views people in prisons and jails as deserving of whatever mistreatment they get. There just isn't the political will to make prisons and jails more humane. And state and city governments are under tremendous pressure to make the cost of incarceration as low as possible. Low pay at facilities tends to attract less qualified doctors. Much of the medical care is outsourced to private contractors, who often rely heavily on unlicensed medical assistants instead of doctors. And it could take months to even see a doctor. One of those contractors, Southern Health Partners, only requires its doctors to spend six hours a week visiting jails. A one doctor may be responsible for thousands of inmates. We see cases every day of the most horrific abuse and neglect of, of desperately sick people. A prisoner told to take comps for what turned out to be cancer. Nurses failing to deliver medications and falsifying records to show that they did. Uh, we had one case where uh, a nurse wrote in the patient's chart that he had, um, his final signs were normal and he was in no uh, apparent distress despite the fact that the prisoner had actually died 10 hours earlier. If they're lucky enough to get actual medical advice, prisoners might not be able to afford following it. They're still charged for copays and prescriptions. Their jobs in prison pay just pennies an hour. The
4: average pay scale is about 18 cents an hour. So $5 for your medications can start to add up.
13: Prisons and jails are designed to break people down. It's all but impossible to get meaningful care in a prison setting that is inherently detrimental to a person's physical and mental health. In stressful conditions, lack of exercise, and a diet full of salt, sugar, and carbohydrates don't do much to help sick inmates heal. It's not unusual to see people who are who are 15, 20 years older than their chronological age. So what do you think? It seems the real question isn't should prisoners get adequate healthcare, but how badly are we as a society willing to treat people in American prisons and jails? <laughs>
8: Well, there you have it. Folks, we didn't scratch the surface tonight, but yet it is enough information tonight that is heart wrenching, as, as Samson talks about the emotions, the unbelievable, folks. I want to invite you to go out to change.org, look for the petition Voices from Behind the Wall. Sign that petition today, won't you? to get involved that change might come as a result of the voices crying out for the voiceless. In your community, wherever you might be, get involved. Pop up at the county jail and say, I need to know that my loved one is safe. Because I'll tell you right now, folks, what if, if tonight is any indication of the abuse behind the wall For failure to give medical treatment To inmates We've heard story after story And to the families Of those that have lost Their loved ones Our condolences Our thoughts and our prayers For the injustice That you have suffered AJC Radio continues Voices from behind the wall The abuse, the horror and the terror That continues across this nation We'll see you next time. This is AgC Radio. Good night, America.
7: Prisoners have been denied medical care in Arizona, and they've been told to pray instead. Think Progress has a story about this. And it's now been a year since a lawsuit was filed by the ACLU alleging that there has been grave medical neglect of prisoners in Arizona's private prison, health care providers, and prisoners have continued to die or endure unnecessary suffering after not receiving sometimes the most basic medical treatment. After asking for medical assistance, as, uh, uh, as I read earlier, many prisoners are told to, quote, be patient or, quote, pray, according to a new report from the American Friends Service Committee. It found that there was lack of timely emergency treatment, denials of care, failure to provide medication and medical devices, and under the Eighth Amendment, prison officials are required to provide medical treatment to prisoners. Prisoners are legally able to request that their care be consistent and that their services are accessible. Proper medication must be dispensed. Dietary restrictions must be accounted for. Uh, This year, the ACLU's lawsuit, as a result of the the, the incredible number of cases that corroborate this, has been granted class action status, which now it means it applies to everyone in Arizona. I don't know, Lewis, whether this is specifically a private prison problem. The state has the sixth highest incarceration rate, and as we know from recent interviews, including with Todd Clear, private prisons only represent uh, a pretty small number of the total inmate population of this country, but to say that whether it's state or federal prisons, we don't need federal oversight when these things are going on, there are cancer patients who simply did not receive treatment, period, full stop, and died.
4: Yep, and uh, I I would assume that this is mostly a problem in, in
6: private prison, um, but who knows? I'm very curious to see what happens with this, and it's... Pretty shocking that this has been going on for so long.
7: It is, and we're going to continue following the story. As you know, we've been covering issues relating to the prison industry, incarceration, the war on drugs, and private prisons for years. We're going to continue covering it. Absolutely.